This week on the Educational Triage Podcast, we look at the blurred lines between teaching to the test and critical thinking. This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Educational Triage Podcast. This is Tony. And of course, we have the ineffable, the fantastic, the Folderolian, Philip. I've never been addressed as such, but aloha and thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I doubt that very many people have been addressed as such. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what does it mean? <laughs> I can't oh. pretend I took care of. What, what was that last one? What did that mean? The Folderoldian. <laughs> Folderoldian, yes. Have you ever heard of a Folderol? Yes, but I can't recall what. It's a folder all. It's a mess. It's no wait. Kind of. Yeah. What it's is, kind of a jovial kind of party mishmash. Oh, the folder all. It's, okay. It's a folder yeah. all. Okay, great. It's, I get it. It's a bit of a party bit. Okay. Well, well, I'll take it as a compliment. Okay. You should. But this week, we're going to be talking about critical thinking skills, which. Of late, I've heard many people say, how, why aren't the schools supposed to be teaching critical thinking skills, like putting two and what? two together to not ingest Tide Pods and just doing things, right? That what, to that's most, critical thinking skills? Not, well, not even it's connecting the dots. Or... It's connecting the dots. It's and thinking about perhaps. why we shouldn't be doing things or maybe why we should, putting consequences and and what's cause oh. and effect and yes. figuring yes. out puzzles and, yeah, thinking things through. Thinking As opposed to teaching to the test. And there is a difference. But we'll, but we'll unblur that line or maybe blur it. A bit, but there is a difference for sure. I know you're saying. I know what you're talking about. Most people do. Now, it it hasn't been quite thirty years. It's been twenty some odd years since I mm. remember picking up the paper and reading a letter to the editor about what the timber of education was leaning towards, and that was mm. the heavy reliance on testing in order to make determinations for funding, for scaling how schools were doing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
And the person who wrote that letter was you, Philip. <laughs> you wrote that letter to the editor of the Oregonian, and you said, teachers will do this. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, oh, Philip, you silly fool. Teachers are too smart to do something like that. They're not going to do something like that. And yet... Oh, my gosh. You just blew me away. Thank you, guys. Go ahead. <laughs> and yet, what do we have on our hands now? Teachers are teaching to the test, and they're not really It's worse teaching. than I could have predicted. <laughs> it is. I, I thought, you know, we're going to teach the test. I didn't quite know what it looked like. Oh, my gosh. I really know what it looks like now. It's not good. Yeah. No, it's not. No, it's not. Mm -mm. And so I did some research into this. And one of the things I wanted to know was, first of all, what was the influence of social media on critical thinking skills? And yeah. and and we're going to, don't worry, people, there's a roadmap to where we're going today. So yeah. we'll get into it. We'll get into it. And if we're going to be testing, then what should we be doing? And you're going to be surprised with the answer, I think, because the answer is exactly yeah. what I've been saying all along. So children have an information overload. Their brains are constantly being bombarded with information from, if you hear that sound, it's my printer that I asked to print about 15 minutes ago. And then it came out and said that nothing was there. That's it must be a thing. <laughs> so please kind of forgive problem. me. <laughs> if you think, okay, remember how they used to tell people don't sit too close to the television set? I do. Because it's bad for said, your eyes. And now we have, and eyes. now we have children with their tablets we have them with their computers we have them with the mm -hmm. television we have them with the monitors and they're sitting very close and they're being bombarded with those images and with the sounds and with the music yeah it's interesting to differentiate between the two i'm not so sure with the tvs that you and i grew up with they didn't irradiate us a little bit if we did, stood a little close i mean they were got big tubes however in today's day and age, I think maybe what they were talking about is a figurative, like, don't get too involved in that screen instead mm -hmm. of stand too close. Just don't get too involved. And of course, you're right. These screens they have now are completely interactive. Oh, absolutely. And so yeah. if you, you, there is, there is a way for you to go into your settings mode and to see how long you have spent on different apps during the day. And yeah. some of you are probably rolling your eyes and some of you are saying, well, yeah, I probably do. And others are saying, suckers, I don't do that stuff. <laughs> well, a lot of people do. And, and children, our students, are very prone to it. And when I was in recovery from my medical incident, I don't think this was great for my brain aphasia. And it, because I realized that I was on social media quite a bit, and I don't know why. You came to that realization too. 
Well, because yeah, it's fine. I had... You don't realize it. I mean, obviously, but then it hits you, and the amount of time you spend is actually pretty great. It's well, like hours and hours, and you think, oh, you my become goodness, a lotus eater. You do. That's exactly correct. Thank you. Perfect way to put it. Yeah. A lotus eater. Yeah. And and you there's nothing productive about it, and the time just flits away. And so what do you do with that? Yeah. The second thing that happens is that you end up in echo chambers and you just hear more of people saying exactly yeah. the same thing over and over again. So you don't have any diversity of thought. That's pretty true. The algorithms and things like that will kind of dally in to get what you want. Right. So Not if you, you need. <laughs> so there's, I can't remember yeah. what the name of the video is. There's one on YouTube that they're on YouTube. I think one's the social dilemma. Yeah. And I can't remember what the other one is, but they really highlight these things that it, they can take you down these wormholes and these rabbit holes, and they can indoctrinate you in so many different ways. And it can be quite damaging on your psyche in many, many ways. Yeah, we've seen There's also a lot of, of confirmation. Go ahead. Confirmation bias. Yeah. Well, we've yes. seen examples of people going down rabbit holes on the internet and then realizing and mm -hmm. running into some trouble with the law <laughs> and, and establishment yeah. and society. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you hear these people that talk about QAnon. Well, QAnon's only one. There are several, and they're, they run the spectrum. They run yeah, the they spectrum do. from the far left to the far right. And everybody wants to pinpoint it on the far right, but hold on there, Halo. Let's look over there, too. Okay, attention span it's and everywhere. distraction. We already know that if you don't get enough activity to process, if your body's not moving, you start having a shorter attention span. And you need to be able to be moving. You need to be able to process the information as you get it. So sitting well, students down process, in front of yeah. a screen for hours at a time is not the best way to help them learn. Yeah, because... What we're doing is overloading our brain. And when you get to a point of overload, then your problem is unsolvable for the moment. Mm -hmm. Set it aside. Go do something else. It's the way we do things. And then we Not work in back up to working on that. Not in schools. Nope. Not in no, schools. We do it in by schools. 10, or, yeah. You know, not in schools. We don't teach kids. What do you do when your brain is full or when you hit an obstacle? We tell you to sit down, shut up, and keep working. Power through. Power through, mm -hmm. keep working. Even though the product is not as good as it could be for sure. You know, it's not quality stuff. We are, I'm just going to say that one thing that we do teach is hypocrisy. We tell kids, don't be on your cell phones as we're scrolling around. As I said before, I had a secretary who spent more time on her phone than she did actually doing her work. And the kids are, what does she do? And then she's chastising the students because they're listening to music while they work. Well, that's perfectly okay. Yeah. And, this, you know, the thing we about have a deal with the kids. Are, yeah. Well, I was just going to say that, that I think that they're much more addictive than we realize. And I think mm -hmm. in the years... That will unfold. <laughs> we'll become aware of that. 
you know, not to equate it with drunk driving, but remember the awareness of drunk driving, you know, it was uh, North by Northwest, the film by Alfred Hitchcock, where uh, Roger Thornhill was caught drunk driving and paid a $2 ticket, <laughs> ran people off the road and everything, you know, and now, of course, it's a very serious thing. And wow. that's because of public awareness. And I think our awareness of what the phone does, how it interacts with us, how mm -hmm. it interrupts us, I don't think we know very much at all about it. And I don't think we behave as if we know very much about that either. I don't know that anybody really wants to look into the danger that's staring them right in the face. And by danger, I don't mean life and death. I mean, what whatever it is. Yeah. Because... Yeah, it it's, it's it's sort of like if you confront people who smoke a lot of pot and you try to tell them what the problems with with their addiction are one they will tell you that they do not have an addiction and secondly they already know well, what the good parts are but they are not aware of the negative aspects and there are negative aspects so there's it's, not a lot of awareness it's yeah. a lot of self-awareness and there's a lot of denial there's there's that active denial is in there and i think that that's that's a biggie plus i think that the average normal person walking around doesn't they don't have that denial so much as they're just unaware and they're unwilling to question, perhaps. They're not willing to defend so much, but everybody does it. And I think that's the problem. You know, this, this telephones are everywhere. Well, consider a cigarette oh, we've smoker. We use them terribly, terrible. <laughs> Look at cigarette smokers. Yeah. They know mm -hmm. what the dangers are. They're they very do, but... well informed. As, mm -hmm. But yeah. it's, it's kind of a, that's not me. And all of them say, "Well, nicotine really, is the most addictive substance in the world." I really need to quit. Yeah. yeah, and people say the same thing about their phone. I really need to stop spending so much time on my phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you're not going to get cancer. That we know. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not like nicotine because nicotine is a big, big addictive substance. Goes right across the right. blood brain, blood brain barrier. I can never say that. Yeah, but we do get stressed. And then we go right to our phone. Mm -hmm. We get happy. Oh, I go to our phone. I think, oh, mm -hmm. I got to write this thing. I got to do this thing. They're very nice tools, but they can consume us. Right. And the reason why I bring up social media and our phones first is because it's one of the greatest proponents that fight against critical thinking. It's one of the biggest walls. So the last one is disinformation and misinformation. And there is a difference. How do you know that what you are reading or looking at or hearing is good information? It's very difficult these days to know the difference because one group of people will tell you that this is the way they'll, you can read different articles and you look at things and you say, this is the way it is. Look at some of the newspaper headlines. Mm -hmm. You read the headlines and you think, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. For example, there was a headline that said that there was a Michigan study that said that doing your own, I, if I get this wrong, don't kill me for it. 
but it said <laughs> that people who garden in their backyard do more to contribute to the carbon footprint than actual agricultural farms. Now, you read through the article, and then the final paragraph, they tell you that's <laughs> not true. The truth is, is ah. that it's very healthy for you to have your own garden. But they also know that people aren't going to read down to the bottom. And so if you don't that's teach true. students, if you don't teach the community to read the entire article and not mm -hmm. just get your news from the headlines, you've mm -hmm. got misinformation and disinformation. But the newspaper will say, no, we wrote a very good article, and it gives you all the information you need. Chris buried the thesis. <laughs> oh, yeah. They crushed it. it. Well, yeah. <laughs> they crushed it. They crushed it. It's, it's uh, sad but true. It doesn't sell newspapers. Right. So you've got to have, have... shows and community events. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. So, and this really plays around with people's minds because they see that and they go, many people, I'm going to have to say that people's neural networks are probably kind of frayed by now. They're, they're maybe a lot thinner because the overreactions that we see are maybe we just see them because people like to film them. Well, if you think about it, let's, let's go in the Wayback Machine. Uh, it used to be in America here, we had uh, network news. They mm -hmm. basically ran the same story. There were three network anchors. They had a pretty kind of, it was an American slant, but it was the same slant. It was down the middle as much as they could make it. Then you had the local news, and local news was a lot of weather and a lot of sports and a lot of kind of like it is today, a little silly. And uh, you didn't have any commentary. You had that in the newspapers. Right. And that was like uh, the ad, you know, op-ed section of the New York Times or even, you know, like the you know, another section of a local newspaper. Mm -hmm. And that was people's opinions pretty locally. That flipped. And so now you don't have anybody on networks that are saying the same thing, even uh, CBS, the, the main ones, the CBS, NBC, ABCs that were originally there, they basically have different sort of takes and slants on the news. It's not actually, the same story. Actually, I'm going to argue with that. And I'm going to say that lately they are more the same story. Mm. They might have slightly different bent on it, but it's almost identical. In fact, I have seen different, yeah. it's almost like it's scripted sometimes. But what you oh, do yeah. have, but yeah, what you, is. but, but now what we have is a 24 seven cycle of the news. Yeah. It's just overwhelming. It's everywhere. And the information is everywhere. But it's also it's opinions. It's, it's also opinions everywhere. passing themselves off as news. And that is yeah, on the every single section network. Is the network that says it's yes. news. It's one large mm -hmm. op-ed section. Which I would indulge in if I believed in that particular vein of thinking, but I, 
you know, I, I read op-eds and I used to agree with them and go, that's a great, I, that makes me feel so good to agree with that for that smart person. But after a while, it's just the opinion. It's not smart person that leads me down the line. And that's become something like right. they don't just trust a newscast. They rust a newscast. Like if they tell me it is absolutely so. And that is very interesting. That is hard to overcome. Now, all of this learning that we have of what I just described on the social media, that's all passive learning. So what we actually need to be doing in order to start turning things around now is to look for more diverse perspectives. What's on the other side? Yes, I agree with what you're saying. What are they saying over here? Why are they saying it? That's why I used to tell kids when I used to teach biology and we used to talk about the origins. And I would have, I would ask my students how many of them were creationists. And there were several. And I had many who believed in Darwinism or evolution. And so what I did was I took the evolutionists and I made them study creationism. And I had the resources there. And I said, okay, you're going to look at this and you're going to be able to tell me what I need to know about creationism. And you can even go into evolutionary creationism. And the creationists, I said, I want you to look at evolution. And some of them said, I can't do that. It goes against my religion. And I said, do you know what it even says? And they said, well, no. And I said, that's why you need to study it. If you're going to argue against something and tell people it's wrong, you can't just say, no, that's wrong. You have to have a reason. You have to be able to argue it. So learn what's there, figure out what the precepts are, what the conditions are, and then you can start applying your logic and you can fold it. And that's what critical thinking yeah. is. Well, it, it, and there's a way of double checking your thinking. It's it, it's critical thinking where it kind of gets the value away from it. At least for me, I ask myself, mm-hmm. what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? I know this. This is something I know. What if I'm wrong? And it always opens me up to learning about the other ways of things how they present themselves, how I adapt to them. It's always a way of approaching things with a receiving way instead of, oh, I'm going to defend my position. You know, I I did I disagree with that side, but I'm going to investigate it. I just ask, mm-hmm. well, what if I'm wrong? You know, put myself right in the middle and go, huh. Hmm, and I, I think that's Where? critical. And I think that it is. I believe that too many people these days don't feel as though they have the luxury of questioning whether they're wrong or not because they will double down. Yeah, I don't. And I think yeah, there's groups that find will tell it them, no, you're not wrong, and we all depend on you not being wrong, too. <laughs> but yeah, but it is embarrassing. So, but it's critical but, thinking for goodness' sake, you know. And it's very, very important to go. Yeah, I'm on the wrong path. Clearly, the evidence shows that uh, you know this is another way to go. That's why I'm here learning things is I'm adapting information as it comes to me and then utilizing mm-hmm. it to increase my effectiveness as a human, emotionally, uh, mentally, physically. Yeah, I want 
I, I like schools to give uh, the opportunities, give the knowledge, give the wisdom, you know, freely, everybody. Well, give the luxury of being wrong. Yeah. And let people <laughs> wallow in that luxury. Do not be arrogant. Teaching is is counter it, arrogance is counterintuitive to education. It, it really is a strange thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The the arrogance of tests almost as if this is what's on the test and we won't talk about anything else. It's We're just on that test. Yeah, it just occurred to me. It's like, that's a pretty arrogant way of looking at it. It's pretty rigid. Because we need to have engagement and discussions, right? We have to, because we don't know what we don't know. And you see people trying to have a discussion online. I mean, I see it more on, on Twitter where people make a comment and they ask a question and of course you get the trolls that go in there and just say the nastiest yeah. things simply because they want to there's some prurient triumph that they get out of it by by making people's blood boil I suppose. I think they belong at the kids table. My theory is, you know, it's like someone does that go go to the kids table. This is where the adults sit. We're talking. You go to the kids table. That silliness mm-hmm. won't stand to hear, Rich. <laughs> But you go in and you start looking for information and how people are sharing that, and they do that in the discussions. And you mm-hmm. look for people who who might be able to help guide you. Now, on Twitter, when mm-hmm. I get in there, I start looking for people who have differing opinions than what I have, people who might be able to teach me something. Mm-hmm. And maybe lead me down a path that I hadn't even considered, or maybe change my mind about something. Mm-hmm. Because nothing is written in stone, and things are malleable, and they change. They evolve. The one constant. So, so if we think about teaching to the test and critical thinking, though, yeah. we have two distinct approaches to education. And for the last almost 30 years, we've been teaching to the test. And it's been a, I'm trying to think of the words to say, it has been, it has been, a. Sh- it, it's, we've been flinging dung is basically what it is. Excrement hit the fan. Yes, excrement. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's excrementally, excrementally, we have gotten worse. <laughs> excrementally. Yes. So, well, okay. Yeah. So let me, okay. if I may, let me explain what teaching to the test is and then what critical thinking is. Let's say, yeah. Okay. What is teaching to a test? So the focus of teaching to the test is a lot of memorization of specific facts and practicing test-taking strategies because Mm -hmm. we're going to go to a standardized test. This is something that they make very clear during professional development. Students need to learn how to take tests. It can lead to improved scores on the targeted tests, offering potential benefits 
for school funding, college admissions, what have you. The weaknesses, it ignores deeper understanding and application of knowledge. It discourages independent thinking and creativity. And I know people are going to say, wait, 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 we do have, but that's not the bent. That's not the focus of Mm -hmm. it. It is to plow through the material Mm -hmm. and get through as much as we can, test kids on it. If they fall behind, they've fallen behind. It reduces learning to animal. Pardon? Well, when we talk about the human animal, yeah. If you are going towards something and there is a target to go toward, everything in your preparation will get you toward that target. If you are learning to think critically, then there is no target per se. It's a very funneled effort to get to teach to the test. It's very expansive if you learn to critically think. The two applications don't coexist. It's like one philosophy teaches the teach to the test, and the one other Mm -hmm. philosophy teaches critical thinking skills that will develop over a lifetime. That's the big difference. You're right, but I beg to differ. Please. Let me finish. Okay. You have a formulaic approach with Uh the teaching to the test. Students can struggle because if things in the test are not covered, then they're not going to know what they're supposed to be doing because everything is based on, this is what I need to know for the test. I got this down. I've got it in my notes. Critical thinking skills. The focus is developing analytical skills, reasoning abilities, and the ability to evaluate information and arguments independently. The strengths, it prepares students for lifelong learning and problem solving in various contexts, improves communication, collaboration, and decision-making skills, fosters curiosity, intellectual courage, and the ability to adapt to new information. So I believe that what you're saying is that teaching to the test is very linear. It's formative. It's like, hey. At the end of this, we'll do a formal exactly. assessment, and that's when you have it all together. Whereas mm-hmm. what you were speaking of, I was thinking about just the way you assess alternatively as it's going. Right. I mean, it, it's a course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Autumn's paid a visit. Weaknesses, it may not directly take you to improvement on the test. However, when you were writing that letter and I was teaching, I was teaching my students how to consider problems as they arose and to work through them so that they would have those formulas down. So if they received information, how do you walk through something? How do you figure out point A, B, C, D? And by doing that, my students were able to succeed quite well on the tests. And they did very well on the tests. And I wasn't teaching to a test because I was teaching the material that I was paid to teach so that my students had a deeper knowledge 
And they come back to me still and they say, remember when we talked about this, it suddenly came up one day when I was at the office and I remembered what we had done and it was in some other subject that had nothing to do with it. Because for the audience, I taught every single subject in a one-room schoolhouse. And then later on, Philip did the same thing. So, so when students said, do you remember that lesson that you taught us? And it's, I, no, I, I had an, a litany of subjects that I taught you. There were a few. Yes. So, but it may not immediately translate to the test. However, what you're doing is you have exposed the students to far more you're not trying to run down the road to cover as much material as possible because you're giving them things that they can actually play with, toy with. So when they do graduate, they're able to start making wise choices They're for themselves and to think for themselves and not just passively learn, but they have active learning going on. And so when they look mm-hmm. at the test, instead of translating that information (coughs) from their brains. Thank you. They're actually, (laughs) they're actually working through that information. And some of it, yes, might have been learned through rote learning, Mm. but a goodly portion of it has to do with the fact that it remained there, not because they memorized it, but because they worked through it. It was functioning learning. They're functional learning, right? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 applied it <laughs> to their situation and then adapted it and then we'll change it over the years. And hopefully it's a good skill to have. Mm-hmm. And that's what yes. I'm trying to teach. Modern skills, some of the modern skills I was teaching 20 years ago sort of became archaic. It's like, oh my goodness. But that I, I couldn't see how technology would go galloping away like that. So I remember when we were talking, I can't remember how long ago, but people fail to recognize that technology is a tool and they are using it as, as, as this God in a sense that will give them the information that they need now. And yes, that may be true, in one sense, but then you need to dig in because the information is only as good as the person who input that information. That is so true. And the AI is only as good as the people who are writing the algorithms. So what I did, because I like to think of myself as a critical thinker, is mm-hmm. I went into four different AIs and I asked, are you a sentient being? Can AI be sentient? Or is the emotion that an AI system has manipulative, much like a psychopath? Either or, huh? <laughs> and the response is they can mimic through language, some emotions that humans might have, but they are not 
able to have emotions because emotions tend to be driven by the brain, by the nerves. And emotions the nerves are totally endings. different. Yeah, they are. That's the conundrum when we of make humanity. This, when we make <laughs> decisions based on emotions, they are not good decisions. Maybe they've worked out well for you. But if you just do things because you feel like doing it, it's a bit hedonistic. And they sometimes have irreversible consequences that you can't do anything about. And you just have to suck it up, buttercup, whether or mm -hmm. not that means you go to prison whether or whatever. Right. And so that may be, I don't know if that's part of the problem of what we're having with the discipline in schools, which we are going to get to in a, in a upcoming episode next week. We're talking about Generation Alpha. Is that correct? We are Generation right. Alpha. It's here and, already. And Ooh. the week after that, we're going to be talking about parenting. So how... And what are we teaching these kids? And is it all for the test? Do we need to go back to a critical thinking model in order to save our education, in order to save our society in a sense, where everything is not just black and white? Do you think that that's one of the causes of this black and white thinking that we have? You're good. They're bad. That seems to be the example that's being set, uh, unfortunately. And I was thinking about the tests, per se. When they first came, I, I always assumed, well, a great responsibility for them, really. There was the reading and the writing and the mathematics. I couldn't do the mathematics, but I was English, so I was in charge of reading and the writing. And I worked really hard to get the kids to a level that they would pass those assessments. But I did it through multiple avenues, you know, and I was always gauging how the kids were learning and, you know, how I could get them there as we do, you know, individualize and alternative ed. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was sort of a formality. And I kind of took pride in knowing having each and every kid I ever taught go through, graduate and pass that test if they were, you know, with me. But I think what happened was people just got kind of lazy with the outcomes of tests. Like, I'll test this, and I'll test this unit, and I'll test that unit. And then it just reduced everything to the content. And if the content is limited or exclusive, you're just stomping all over critical theory and thinking. It's just not going to happen because you're being told what to analyze, what to extract, what to extrapolate from, and then how to apply it from a very limited source. There's, there's, very li there's little room for learning except the strategy by which you're going to take that test. You know, the content kind of loses its life. Sad mm -hmm. but true. And I always wanted to keep my, my content live didn't have a problem with the reading and writing test per se, but then I would never use an assessment like a formative test in a classroom unless I wanted them to get certain information down. Yeah, it was very rare that I did something like that. 
if I'm going to, the problem is, is that when I was doing academic therapy, what right. I taught my students, if they were coming to a formative test, like a multiple choice, and I said, you know, you've been doing the work, you know the material, and they said, well, yeah, but I freeze up. And I said, okay, stop freezing, because you know the information. Just do a pep talk. The night before the test or the day before the test, sit down in an easy chair, make yourself relaxed, and look at look at nobody in particular, and just pretend that you're on a talk show. And let's say that you have a review sheet, because some of your teachers will give you a review sheet. And you sit down and you pretend that you are on a talk show. Pick a talk show. I don't know which one you want. And ask the first question. Pretend that the first question has been asked of you. For example, what is a cell? Oh, well, a cell is a dynamic attribute to the, to the body or to a plant or to a living organism. It's comprised of, and you can talk about the different pieces, but if you get caught up on anything, make a little note right there about what you, what you got caught up on. And then move on to the next question. When you come back and you have to do your studying, now you know what you need to study. And when you're taking the test, you've already gone through everything. What you did with the talk show sticks to the Velcro on your head. So you don't just it do one. Yeah. It makes it a process. It does. It, and so the next time. Content versus process. Yeah. It right. makes it a process. So the content has to come in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if you do it, even if you only do it for 10, 15 minutes a day after your mm -hmm. classes, you've got that sucker down so that by the time mm -hmm. you get to the test, you know that information pretty well. And you can talk to yourself during the test. Just don't do it like, let me see. <laughs> Number three says, no, yeah, you kind of buzz. talk inside you... your head. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I... that's really a good point. I thought about that. Content versus process. You know, if you're working on the process of something, the content sort of naturally slips in. It has to. Otherwise, the process slows down. It bogs mm -hmm. down. If you're just studying the content, then you're losing the process and you're losing the context. It's not yes. relevant. It sort of loses itself in space. Not right. good. So because when you come into chemistry and you're dealing with stoichiometry, you've got to yeah. be able to talk your way through the processes in order to get to where you are. If you're so dealing with history, yeah. you need to, sometimes you need to have a conversation with yourself with history because you've heard the story. Now you just have to put the pieces together. The big thing with history, and yes, many times dates are very important, but it's the context of the events that happened. And if you remember the story, the story will tell you and it'll put it all together. So you well, should be able to- I'm an example of that. Yeah, I want a story and I don't know all the dates. But I know all the stories, and I go, well, that probably around 1863, 1864. Usually I get it right. You know, it's 1863. Mm -hmm. yeah. So because what people also fail to realize, because they say, well, that is problematic. And it's like, wait, it's not, because we're talking about literature, which obviously 
people, what people need to realize with literature, with movies, with music, whatever, it's a reflection on the society that it was written in. Mm -hmm. And if you start turning that and taking that out, what you have done is you are rewriting context. You are rewriting what was happening, which is very important and very, very, it's very, very embedded in the culture for which it was written. And we can learn a lot from that culture. So you can't say can little, we need to rewrite yeah. this because it make it gives me the creeps. And it's like, but back then it didn't give people the creeps. This is what it did. Why? Yeah. And and the like you said too, it's the context by which it's there. And we can't help but read it with our modern eyes, but we have to assume some meanings from the past. For example, mm -hmm. a Huck Finn. And Jim's character. I mean, Jim's called the N bomb. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that's how you refer to Jim because that's the first half of the book. Jim is nothing more than that—a slave. And then when he becomes Jim, and Huck goes, "Hey, he's not just an N bomb. He's he's a man. He's my friend." That's the whole it's context, not. and that's important to understand. And if you remove that word from that book because it's offensive in this day and age. You remove the entire meaning of the novel in many, many ways. Well, I think because people find it problematic because one, it shows him it it it, it they don't see the strength of Jim. They don't see the evolution mm. that Twain put in there, where he started out right. as a slave and all of a sudden totally. he becomes he he fleshes him out and he becomes this vibrant, strong character, this man, yeah. and he's not a slave. He's an actual person. And so being able to recognize that, but people being uncomfortable, I'm so tired of people who become uncomfortable with things. And so they think that they should have this life where everybody just butters their toast for them the way that they want yeah. it buttered. And yeah, that's not damage. life. It's, that's not life, you know. I don't. If you removed that word from Huck Finn, Huck Finn is lost. It it every character in it's gone. I mean, they have no anchor. It's it's very strange to say, but true. Uh, mm -hmm. And what people also need to realize is that Hannibal, Missouri, <laughs> where Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer take place is not that far from Springfield, Illinois, where Abe Lincoln was from. It's right down the road. So when people yeah. say, well, the South, the South is very close to the North. Oh, yeah, there's a line there. So yeah, it's not just that, that way back there, that group mm -hmm. of Southern states did that. And now it's over. It's like, eh. mm -hmm. <laughs> now, if you read things like uncle Tom's cabin, if you read and, yeah. and yeah. other literature from the sentimental point of view, and people are saying, well, it's not, what do you mean by sentimental? You mean like all emotion and weepy? No, no, everything. And like the romantic period, that doesn't mean that it's all lovey dovey. These yeah, are terms. If you don't know what the terms novels, mean, so. look them up. It's, yeah. it, we're not going to do a lesson here in English. Come to my class. I'll teach you the terms. You come to my class. <laughs>
we need to understand context. And if you say, well, all I know is that it makes me uncomfortable, you need to take the responsibility for yourself to figure that out. Don't tell other people what to do. Don't stick don't your fingers a, in your ears. Don't be a Karen or a Darren. I don't want to hear that. La, la, yeah. la, la, la. That's so wrong. <laughs> well, that's basically what it is. So it is, we need yes, to bring yes. back critical thinking because students can't argue a point anymore. It's because I said so. Or because I don't like that. That is not thinking critically. Mm. Have a reason. And so students need to be able to argue better. Teachers should be teaching reading and writing across the curriculum in the schools. Well, teach Teachers this. should be able to have a debate in their classroom without being mm -hmm. written up because somebody's uncomfortable with the topics. Get over it. Just because you're uncomfortable doesn't mean that you have the right to take away discussions. And I think maybe politically, we've become so inured to thinking critically and having everything given to us that when we are asked to think critically, it's very difficult. And so people become more, we have to infantilize them in order to make sure that they are coddled and taken care of. Perhaps we should take the arguments of some people that are being presented that are, in fact, absurd and out there and without merit and treat them as such, just as a society, generally speaking. That's not true. That's crazy. Go somewhere. Just don't stay here. <laughs> now, interestingly, what the data states, apparently, is that if we are teaching effective critical thinking in the classrooms, students should be able to score very well on the standardized tests. Mm, I think we've proven that to be untrue. Critically thinking? No, that critical thinking would actually help them on the tests. That's what I said. Yeah. Yeah, I think yes. that's in many ways untrue. That they would do well on tests? Okay. It will overlap. However, if the school systems are set up to just deliver formative tests or teach mm -hmm. to the test, then critical thinking is absent. It's so. It's, it's absent. It, yeah, it, you can't teach those skills if you're teaching just the content. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. If we yeah, turn okay. it around, if teachers start teaching critical thinking skills yeah. and they implement those skills and they go for deeper learning and they go for applied learning and relevant learning and they start debating and they start putting things together with more hands on where there's more integration mm -hmm. and students actually understand and everything becomes more ingrained, students will perform better on these tests than the students oh, who have the linear learning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying is because you were telling me that that's not so. Oh, I was thinking it was, <laughs> I was thinking that the line was 
we are teaching these critical thinking skills and they're helping us on these tests. And I saw some hypocrisy there. It's like, yeah, I don't think schools are teaching the critical thinking skills as much as they think they are. I think they aren't. that that's true, what they're saying, but I don't think they're teaching those skills. I think they're teaching more to the content or the test. Yeah. They are. They are. Because yeah. they want to make sure that they are right because they don't want to fail. Yeah. And for some that's, reason, they know the truth. However, they won't administrate it. And it's frightening, I think, in so many ways, because why aren't schools working hard to teach the critical thinking skills? Here's Here are some of the reasons. One, we talked about it last week when we talked about the influx of paraprofessionals and administrators and teachers are staying flat as far as employment goes. They stay flat just along with the student population. There seems to be an influx of paid curriculum, scripted curriculum and or online curriculum that's coming in. There is very little wiggle room for any thought. When I design curriculum for credit recovery, high school completion, and for the alternative ed programs, there was a lot of autonomy. There was a lot of student agency. There was a lot of critical thinking that went into it. They had to study. They had to figure things out, and they had to apply them. The district did not like that because they wanted something that would help the students pass the tests even though what was in there was going to help the students pass the tests. E. So they have to have, the district demands that they have a cut and dry process and formula. So we need to have a rethink. Mm. And we need to have, because why is homeschooling why are homeschoolers doing so well? And why is there such an exodus from the mainstream schools into homeschooling? Because they are working with critical thinking skills. And that's what they're pushing. And a lot of parents see the benefit of that and a lot of communities do as well. So I don't, to wrap it up because we're out of time, it's what do we do? What are some solutions? I mean, how do we get s schools to turn this around? Because otherwise, yeah. if we don't have critical thinkers, then we make ourselves prone to some kind of a mind game where it's easier to control and dominate. And it's not just yeah. in the schools. It's outside the schools, too. So I want to know what people are thinking. So leave your comments down below. I've put down some sources and resources to go further with this, if you're interested. And Philip, do you have any last words? Uh, no, I think we pretty much sort of scratched the surface. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I would say we yeah, did. Yeah, th there's so Maybe much Maybe drew a little more. blood. Yeah, I, I think the whole thing, the technology, life, everything is changing so much if we're teaching to the content the content changes 
are so radical and so quick. How are we ever going to keep up? Mm -hmm. Indeed. So, Man. question of the week for our audience. Do you think parenting has become too permissive? And do you think that that's what's translated into the problems of behavior in the schools? Or do you think that we need to have consequences back? Let us know. Send the, and the link to write your response is down below. So everybody, next week, once again, we're going to be talking about Gen Alpha. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and reach for the stars. And we will see you then. Till then, bye-bye.